Dear Heavenly Father, as we read and listen to your word, and as um, the word is expounded, um, may we be encouraged by the truth in your word. Grant us ears to listen and hearts to obey. Thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. I'll be reading from Deuteronomy 30, um, from the NIV. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you, come upon you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you to today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart runs away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them. I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the, the Jordan to enter and possess. This day, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, 
and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Be true to your heart. Ultimately, he's a good person. She has a good heart heart underneath it all. These are the things you hear people say, but are they right? What is human nature like? Are our hearts inherently good? If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you know how hard it is to obey and live for God. That moment of temptation can be so quick. That frustrating person in the workplace pushing all your buttons. That attractive person on the street prompting a lingering look. Those things you've wanted to buy for ages finally going on sale. Why are we like this? You know, it's like that person that you can picture in your mind, or to be honest, ourselves, and you think, why are you making such poor life choices? Why are you making such dodgy daily decisions? We think maybe you could just stop making those sorts of decisions and choices and make these ones. But is it that easy? I've been observing and I think that there is something deeper. We have a heart problem, a spiritual heart problem. And this is the thing that struck me most as I read Deuteronomy 30 this week. Looking at the state of Israel's hearts says something about the state of our hearts too. And that's what we'll be focusing on this morning. So we jump in in chapter 30 at a huge point in Israel's history. They're about to enter the promised land, the land that God was bringing them to for a peaceful and prosperous life with him. But life with God is a tremendous privilege and responsibility. So for most of the chapters before chapter 30, God, through Moses, has been outlining and renewing the covenant, the terms of the relationship for Israel to live with God in the land successfully. Crucially, God reminds Israel in chapters 27 to 28 that living by the covenant is no small and casual thing. It's a matter of life and death. Blessings for obedience, but curses for disobedience. It's not light or casual. And rightly so. Living with God in the promised land is a tremendous privilege and responsibility. So the big question is, will Israel obey? Will they be successful? No. No, they won't. God knows that Israel will fail. He predicts that they will disobey and then suffer the punishment of exile that is being kicked out of the land. 
But interestingly, at this point, God is not focused on their disobedience and exile. He instead promises to restore Israel after they repent from that disobedience and exile. And that brings us to our first point for this morning. God will restore. God will restore. Let's read from verse 1. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, there's that reference to exile, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. There's that reference to exile again. Knowing that Israel will disobey and be cast into exile, God is determined to compassionately restore them if they repent and return to God. If Israel returns to God, then God will return to them. God will restore Israel. And look at the restoration God brings in verses 9 to 10. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God is determined to restore Israel, land, offspring, and blessing if they repent and return to God. Of course, the big question is, how will Israel truly repent? How is it possible for Israel to return to God? If God knows that Israel will disobey him soon after arriving to the promised land, what makes him so sure that they won't disobey again after repenting? I think verse 6 holds the key to this, and it makes all the difference. Have a look. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. You see, God needs to do some heart surgery so that they may love him and live. Israel has a heart problem, and so they need heart surgery. Disobedience is not just an issue with actions and behaviours. It comes down to a person's heart. It's a heart problem. God will restore Israel, but before he does, he needs to perform heart surgery. More on that soon. Okay, so that's Israel's future. But for now, God has a simple message to Israel. Our second point for this morning. For now, choose life. For now, choose life. 
The command to obey God is ultimately pretty simple. Obey God, receive blessing, choose life. These are the terms of the covenant between Israel and God. It's quite straightforward. I think this is what verses 11 to 14 are saying. It's not too difficult or beyond you, verse 11. It's not up in heaven or across the sea, far away and inaccessible, verses 12 to 13. No, verse 14, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and heart, so you may obey it. In other words, Israel, you know this. You've got this. You can do it. And then God's big official invitation in verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Two ways to live. It cannot get any starker. Life and prosperity or death and destruction. Simple. Love and obey God and you will be blessed verse 16, but turn away from God and disobey him and you will be destroyed, verses 17 to 18. Israel is faced with a choice, life and prosperity or death and destruction. Two ways to live. And finally, God seals the covenant from verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The witnesses are gathered. The covenant has been renewed. And God finishes with, I want to say a suggestion, but it really is more of a command, isn't it? Choose life. Israel, it's simple. You've got this. Choose life life but as we know from later in the bible and history god uh, israel does not choose life or at least they choose life and obey god for a while but they succumb to their struggle against idolatry worshiping other nations idols and stop loving and obeying god it seems obvious and simple at this part of their history as Israel is poised to enter the promised land. Excitement, optimism, choose life. But eventually, Israel will choose disobedience and death. And later history and books like Ezra and Nehemiah tell us that even though some surviving Israelites made it back to their land after exile, the life was never the same again. It was nowhere near as blessed and prosperous as the picture in today's passage. So what happened then? Did God lie? 
he said he'd restore his people, but he clearly didn't restore Israel. Is God an overpromiser and underdeliverer? No. It's because nation Israel and the Jewish people never had their hearts circumcised. Not their physical hearts, but their spiritual hearts, their hearts and minds, their wills and desires. They had, they had hearts turned away from God, hearts that rejected God. Israel had a heart problem, but they never got the heart surgery they needed. And that's why Israel didn't, and indeed couldn't, choose life. And Israel is a picture to teach us what we are like. Like Israel, we have a heart problem and we need heart surgery. Choose life. Seems simple. But there's no way we could ever choose life and live God's way. We always end up effectively choosing death. As a trivial example, think about our thoughts and decisions towards food. Right? Here we have a healthy choice and here we have an unhealthy choice, fast food. Right? One represents nutrition and nourishment and feeling great afterwards and the other one represents clogged arteries and rotten livers and feeling sick afterwards. Right? But we don't see that. We see Boring salad, tasteless, deliciousness, comfort food. Fast food is what we choose. No one goes, oh, I want clogged arteries and I want a rotten liver and I want dietary diabetes. That's not what we see. We see something else. Choose life. But it's never presented that way, is it? No one in their right mind would, would choose death over life. How it's presented to us is, will I choose to satisfy God or satisfy myself? Will I choose to serve God or serve myself? Will I prioritize God's plans or will I prioritize my plans? Will I invest in God's plans or will I invest in my and my family's plans? I choose myself. That's where I always end up when it's completely up to me. The problem is that means rejecting God and that leads to death. So really, we, I, am choosing death. Love God and live, or turn away and be destroyed. There are only two ways to live. Maybe we like to think we can straddle both paths, that we can enjoy the best of both worlds. 
we can compartmentalize our life. Sundays are for church and God, but Monday and Friday, Monday to Friday, that's for me and my career. This portion of my income, that's for God, but this part is for me. I'm like this with my church friends, but with my colleagues and my mates, this is another me. Or worse, and I do this a lot, sadly, we feel like we can earn credit by giving away chunks of our life to God. Since I give Sundays to God, therefore I deserve Monday to Friday for me and my plans. Since I give away a portion of my income and time to God, so I deserve this part for myself. But God demands and deserves our everything. Yet we refuse and struggle to give it to him, the good God who gave it all to us in the first place. Why are we like this? It's because of our heart. Like Israel, we have a heart problem and we need heart surgery. And the only surgeon qualified is the Son of God, our Lord Jesus. Our third and final point. Jesus restores our heart to life. Jesus restores our heart to life. Jesus diagnoses the true state of our hearts with penetrating clarity in Mark chapter 7. Have a look. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. That evil thoughts come. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Are people inherently good? Do people really have a good heart? Not at all, says Jesus. The human heart is depraved and diseased. We, have a, we all have a heart problem and we need heart surgery. So praise God that he sent Jesus who can perform spiritual heart surgery. Circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. That's what Paul calls it in Romans 2, 29. So now we have new hearts. Hearts that can obey. Hearts that can say no to sin and yes to God. Hearts that can now choose life. God has dealt with the root of the problem, our sinful hearts. When I was thinking about this, I uh, thought about my peace lily plant that I have at home. I know some of you guys are green thumb extraordinaires, but I have one plant and I'm struggling to keep it alive. There's yellowing uh, leaves and there's brown bits and there's black spots. Um, and 
So to try and treat it, I started cutting, cutting away the, the rotten leaves, the yellow ones, the brown ones, but they, the problem didn't go away. So I started dumping water on it and cutting away more leaves. It still doesn't do anything. So I had to go online. And what I'm seeing online is that the solution is <laughs> um, far more than just trimming leaves and dumping water. I actually have to deal with the roots, the roots, the root problem. I had to, things are suggested like get fungicide to kill the fungus and repot the whole plant. I mean, those are some big, you know, wholesale changes to this tiny plant. But that is what I think is needed to deal with the diseased plant. Not just cutting bits off here and there, but dealing with the root problem. We all have a heart problem. We all need heart surgery. And so God sent his surgeon, Jesus, to circumcise our hearts. So if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, did you know you have an eternal life-threatening heart problem? You need spiritual heart surgery. And the only surgeon qualified is Jesus who went to death on a cross for your sins. So go to him and ask him to circumcise your heart. If you call yourself a Christian, you have a new heart. We can now obey and live for Jesus from the heart. What that means, for example, is genuinely serving God and others, not just doing things for show. God hates hypocrisy and false religion. And if you think about it, it's actually really revolting. Why pretend to be something you're not when God can see right through to your heart? God didn't sacrifice his precious son Jesus to circumcise our hearts just so that we can play pretend. Let's examine our motives. It means nothing if you present as good but have selfishness in your heart. God sees your heart. Conversely, it means everything if you do good in secret with no human recognition. God sees your heart. Honesty and integrity are essential. So let's be real with each other, be honest with each other about our struggles. No need to put up false pretenses. We're all on a journey of living for God. And it looks slightly different for each of us in our unique circumstances. So let's be patient and compassionate with each other, knowing that we'll make mistakes in trying to live for God and serve each other. Also, it is a battle to live for God. I personally resonate so much with Paul's, the Apostle Paul's struggle with sin in Romans 7. Listen to this and see if you resonate too. Oops, <laughs> move there. Yes, so Romans 7. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. 
For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. It's so relatable, isn't it? That tug of war, pulling your mind and heart back and forth. I want to do good, but evil is there with me. Inside my heart, there's a fierce battle going on. God's law versus the law of sin. And, you know, we feel this battle in so many different ways. Lots of you know that recently we've moved house and, you know, things in boxes everywhere, which is the most frustrating thing ever because you're just constantly looking for things, can't find things. And it's just those flashes of impatience and anger with, you know, the people at home. That's just one example of the many ways I experience the battle with sin. And I'm sure you relate as well. It's a genuine battle to live for God. So in light of that, let me finish um, with Romans 8.1. Let's have that plastered on the front door of our heart. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter how many times you stumble and fall, if you are in Christ, be assured that God sees you no different. Because Jesus has paid the penalty for our disobedience, past, present, and even future. And he has gifted you, gifted us with a new heart. So thank God for Jesus. Pick yourself up off the ground and keep going. Jesus gives us a new heart so that we can choose life. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son to circumcise our hearts in the Spirit. Thank you that we can now obey and we can live for you, and that's the good life. Please help us to keep living for you and keep remembering the gospel in our hearts as we stumble and fall and as we keep going. We go in your strength. In Jesus' name. Amen.